0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So today we are back to the regular scheduled programming. There's no uh, clipping audio from YouTubes and whatnot. Um, it is a little chaotic as of this moment. i making arrangements to go out to Boston, so it's going to be... Me and my laptop for a little while. But there shouldn't be any interruptions in terms of the podcast. Just know that things are going to be a little bit crazy. Be heading out Thursday, coming back Sunday. At least that's the plan. Traveling is not so easy these days, I've learned. But anyways, it's good to be back. Uh, While I was away, I was inundated with 60 billion questions. Um, I don't know if just the, the videos and the podcasts that I did were super thought-provoking, or if it's just kind of a coincidence or what, but um, I was kind of of overwhelmed (laughs) with the amount of questions. So that's what we're doing today. I'm going to try to go through as many as I can, and as usual, there's no central location for these, so it's like, I know I got 70 questions, no idea who asked or where they asked, so I'm just going to go through the normal channels, and if I come across a question, I'm going to answer it. Also, a request for the Patreon group, because that's where I'm going to start, because that makes the most sense. These are the guys that are my patrons. I might as well ask, uh, answer their questions. Just a request. I set up a separate channel for questions. Let's try to not fill that up with answers. That's just going to be a, uh, a place for me to go in and try to find questions, and all I can see is answers and lots of discussions about questions that I can't even find anymore. Just a suggestion. A request, if you will. So uh, the first question I'm going to answer is from Andy. It's a very good question. It's one of those that I can't answer, but it's worth at least discussing. He wants to know how devalued this free agency is going to be because of the salary cap situation. I talked about this kind of a long time ago. It seems logical that there's going to be somewhat of a supply and demand situation in which people are not going to be getting paid as much as they would like. He specifically asked about SpotTrack and whether or not they are taking this all into account. I have no idea. They're looking at past free agents, however, it would actually be more accurate if you're just looking at past free agents as opposed to past free agents plus adding on what the salary cap has gone up. If they just remove the part where the salary cap goes up, then it's probably relatively accurate. But I guess I don't know exactly how that goes. Um, and, And for some backstory, the reason that I'm saying what I'm saying is because you have a lot of teams that don't have money. And a lot of teams are going to have to release a lot of players, and that's going to flood a lot of players into the marketplace. And when you have a flood of of supply, price goes down. Necessarily, it does. This isn't a rule somebody else made up. This is just natural law. Because now now it's not teams competing for you, it's you competing for teams. That means you get bid down instead of getting bid up. Does that make sense? If there's one really good linebacker on the market and that's it, You have 32 teams bidding the price up, 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 up. If, let's say, and this is not the reality, but just to give an an example of what I'm talking about. If you have 32 pass rushers and only one team that wants a pass rusher, you have 32 pass rushers competing, dropping their price down, 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 down to get the job. Now, the, the NFL is going to be somewhere in the middle, but it's pushing more toward an increased supply, meaning the price is going to get pushed down. I don't need to bid as much money as I would in other years to get your services. On top of not even having money, but that's not even really the the part of this equation. What it really does is it drops the amount of people that have the ability to compete. So it does drop that ratio of players to teams. There's more players in the market. There's less teams that can afford you. That's necessarily going to drop your price. Now, that isn't to say that some players aren't going to say, I'm worth this, and a team comes along with plenty of money and says, yep, sounds good, and signs them. But if they do that, that's going to take up more of their cap which just hurts everybody else because overall the price of these players will necessarily fall. So for every player that gets more money or a, you know, what they're quote-unquote worth based on our current understanding of worth not taking into account the recent salary cap disaster that pushes everybody else down. But I guess we haven't really seen that'll be that'll be something that's a little bit more interesting as these things develop. To kind of compare and contrast. You know, this guy's worth 10 million. Does he sign for 10, 12, or 8? And sometimes that's position by position. You know, for years it was safeties weren't getting what they were worth. Now it's, you know, running backs are not going to get paid what they're worth. And again, not that some team won't drop massive money despite the fact that we all know you shouldn't pay them. But generally speaking, it's gonna be hard to make what you're quote unquote worth. So I guess I don't really know. However, obviously if that's the case, that's gonna help I mean it helps everybody, but it's also gonna help us more realistically find a way to sign somebody but we're kind of far away from understanding how all that stuff's going to work we don't even know what the salary cap is going to be and apparently we're not even going to find out until like right before like right up until the very end when teams need to uh have their cap rectified which is kind of nonsense because how i want to structure my team is dependent on what the cap is and you're not even going to tell me until it's like time to you know i don't know it's just it's insane I would say with that said, it's not going to be massive in either direction. You know, $10 million, $10 million guys are not going to go for 6 I've been saying for a while, generally with the increased cap, the salary caps go up about a million dollars a year in terms of value. So a $20 million player next year is going to be worth like 21, depending on, you know, I'll leave that aside. It's not important, but something to that effect. So if it moves in any one direction, down or up or whatever, we're talking about maybe like a million bucks. That's why I said it's it's a fluctuation between maybe 8 and 12 for a $10 million guy. So if we're thinking, well, we couldn't afford them before, but maybe the, the prices plummet so we can afford them, eh, probably not. The other um, part of his question here, which is worth talking about will open market free agent open market free agents be cheaper but extending your current players be not as cheap since their extensions will reach into seasons not affected by COVID. so another great question because if here, here's the here's the problem and this could be just sort of an impasse i mean granted you could probably rectify this by the way you structure a contract um but if i'm a team i'm looking at it saying look we don't have money so let's say you are a player that um if the cap had gone up instead of down you're making $10 million. That's what you're worth. You're worth about $10 million a year. At this particular point in time, teams only want to pay you nine. If you're a 26-year-old player, what are the odds that you want to shortchange yourself on a five-year contract worth $9 million a year? So what teams would have to do is agree to, and this is where people will see the, the contracts and say, you're a liar. The contracts didn't go down. The only thing I could see them doing is signing him to a $10 million per year contract, but structuring it so that it doesn't hurt and it's very backloaded. And again, I don't know I don't know how this is supposed to work, but my understanding is there was supposed to be, before COVID with these new TV deals, a massive explosion of the salary cap. Maybe that's not true, I don't know. But if it is true, I don't see any problem with teams backloading massively these contracts. Because not only do we get back to what we were, because it's kind of like we're, we're at zero, COVID brought us below 0 whereas if after the TV deals it would bring us up to like 20 so not only do we go back to 0 but we add an additional 20 all those numbers are fake but just to draw a picture so as bad as things are now and we're trying to figure out how to make it work imagine if not only do we go back up to the 200 that we should have been at plus the additional that we should have gone from 2020 to 2021 plus the TV deals bring us up to let's just say 220 i mean you're you're talking just being handed 30 million dollars in cap space Again, I'm making up the numbers. I don't know what the new um, salary... I, 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 I have no idea if any of that was real or what. That was just the expectation because it was supposed to be massive new money. That and, and all the, the gambling that's now becoming legalized was supposed to uh, massively increase the cap. And I, I don't know if that's supposed to happen recently or soon or if that's 10 years away because some states will not uh, agree to legalize it, whatever. I don't know. And I think that's part of the problem for these teams is they don't know either. And so it, that's where that sort of impasse but with that player gets even more complicated because it's only gonna be what, a four year contract? What are we gonna do? Backload it all the way into the fourth year? You're gonna get paid, you know, six million, then seven million, and then ten million, and then twenty one million. Plus the way that these contracts are structured, they're just gonna cut you. So you shouldn't agree to that. It's a three year deal worth garbage money. So I don't know, it's gonna be kind of tough. I mean if if I'm a if I'm a player like, for example, I had Amos or, or Devontae getting extended, basically I'm going to come into it and say this is my price and uh, you're either going to pay it or I'm not taking an extension because I'm not taking a pay cut extension. Like I'm, I'm I'm, assuming the cap stays what it is and that's what I'm worth and that's what I'm going to get paid. I don't have to agree to anything. And it certainly didn't seem to affect Devontae or, um, excuse me, Bakhtiari at all. So that probably is the case. Regardless of your financial issues or whatever's going on with COVID, um, I'm not accepting extensions that are uh, that are shortchanged because of a one or two year dip that's nonsense but again the real question is what about free agents they don't have a choice they don't have a team right now so that sort of gives teams a little bit more leverage but then again if you really want a guy like jj watt he kind of gets to pick Like, hey i'd love to have you in at a discount and he looks at you and just says no that's not gonna happen so i don't know i don't i don't know how that all works i mean if, if everybody just pays everybody what they're worth it just means less people get jobs i guess because I, I mean, it's just—it's a finite amount of money, and if you have less money and you pay everybody as though the cap goes up, that's going to use up all your money before you sign everybody. So some of these guys are just going to be out of jobs, which means they're going to have to lean heavier on draft picks and undrafted free agents to fill those roster spots that have left. I don't know. It, it, it could be a team by team situation. It'll be an interesting thing to keep an eye on. So there's there's two. One of them is a question by Andy again, and then um, there's a comment by Charlie, kind of in this direction. And I see a lot of people comment these things, and I don't necessarily agree, not that it can't be the case, but I've constantly talked about how there's too, the draft is too small of a sample size to make any definitive statements. I mean, if you can see a trend over two, three, four, five, six years, whatever, maybe we can start to, to see that. Or maybe a, a team might just tell you, right, that... For example, the, the Packers with the spark score, where they look for athleticism. That seems relatively painfully obvious. Every year you can kind of depend on that. Things that I don't necessarily agree with and, and what a lot of people are wondering about, and I'll, I'll get to Andy's question here, which positions is Gutekunst talented enough to replace this offseason? If I scroll down a little bit, Charlie says, um, I think we should, I'm sorry, it wasn't Chally, it was, it was A. Miller. I was like, what? That's not what he said. He says, I think we should address linebacker and let Gutekunst draft a cornerback. He seems good at it. I mean, he drafted Jair. Is he good at it, or did he just hit on that one? I, it's just, it's not enough for me to, to determine a trend. Brian I mean, again, how many picks has he had in his tenure since 2018? Then you have to factor in his board, which... On any given pick, there's only a certain number of players that are any good. You have to factor in how many positions are on the on a uh, on a team, and then the value of the round that you're in. I mean, how many first, second, or third round picks has he had? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten. How many corners has he drafted? Jair, Josh Jackson, Kadar Holman, and that's it. So one of, uh, uh, yeah, one of three. Is he really good at drafting corners? Is he really bad at drafting linebackers? I mean, he drafted Oren Burks and Kamal Martin. Oren Burks was a giant miss. And and again, in year one, I'm mostly willing to forgive a lot of this because it's year one and he had like two months of being a GM. In 2020, he nails like one of the only good linebackers in the fifth round. It's just there's just not enough to really establish, right? What about wide receiver? He hasn't drafted a wide receiver since 2018 when he drafted three of them. Jamon Moore was a terrible pick. I think MVS was a fantastic pick. Not because he's a fantastic player, but there was only about five or six really good wide receivers in that draft. All of them were like first or second round picks with the exception of one guy, MVS, in the fifth round. And Equinemius, I mean, as much as we want to talk about him, I don't... If you just look at the wide receivers drafted in that range, half of those guys aren't in the NFL anymore, and the ones that are don't play. Equinemius is getting a lot more playing time than everybody else drafted in the same area as him. So is he good or bad at that? I, I don't know, dude. It just depends on where your board is and, and who's available, and you just take the best available. And sometimes those guys end up being good, and sometimes they don't. That's not to say there isn't a level of, of evaluation there. I'm sure not everybody saw Jair as a early first-round pick worth trading up for in the first round. A lot of people saw him as a second-round pick, apparently. So there was some level of evaluation. But again, he drafted Josh Jackson right after that. So I, I can't sit here and say, well, he's good at this, he's bad at that. You know, I had Mr. Negative constantly tell me he's terrible at evaluating quarterbacks because one of his first moves was to bring in Deshaun Kaiser. Remember, we traded to bring in Deshaun Kaiser to be a backup. So that, in his mind, means he's horrible at evaluating quarterbacks. That, in his mind, means that Jordan Love is going to be terrible. No, Jordan Love is going to be good if Jordan Love is good. Jordan Love is going to be bad if Jordan Love is bad. Deshaun Kaiser has nothing to do with that. So I, there's just there's nothing here for me to work with. To be completely honest, is he good or bad at, at these positions or those positions? I don't know. And that's not to say again that some of this isn't true. That there isn't some kind of thing. I just I have no idea what what thinking And a lot of it has to do with his staff. All right, we we brought over what's his name from Baltimore. He's really good at at evaluating defensive talent, seemingly based on what Baltimore has done over the years since he came over. We got Rashawn, we got Savage, we got uh, Kamal. Kiki maybe is something. I don't really know. So again, it's just, I mean, if you had guys making like 50 picks a year, you could start to see trends. But we try to make too many trends out of of nothing. And I really think if we could see their board as they were picking, it would provide a lot of clarity and kind of demonstrate to us that they're not really making very many decisions. They made their decisions a long time ago when they built their board. And at that point, they're just doing what the board tells them to do. They're not hardly picking on need. They have things that they hope that they can get, but they're looking at the board saying there's four guys to pick from. Three linebackers and a corner. Well, we really need a uh, a safety. Well, sorry, that ain't in the cards, bud. Would you like one of these linebackers or a corner? So, I, I don't know. It's just, there, there's there's just not enough information here. And again, factor in how many different positions there are. Imagine like every single position on a, on a team. Offense, defense, and, you know, puncher, kicker, long snap. And then you have like a dice, a die, right? Six numbers and you have seven rolls, you're the GM of all these dice here. Tackle, guard, center, tight end, halfback, running back, quarterback, wide receiver, defensive tackle, edge rusher, linebacker, cornerback, safety, punter, kicker, long snapper. Pick one and roll the dice. You can only pick seven. Sometimes you're going to roll a one, sometimes you're going to roll a six. It would be kind of crazy to look at and go, oh, he rolled a one that one time for wide receiver. He's not good at evaluating wide receivers. It's like, I just, you know, no, you, you, you just can't do that. Again, maybe over time, but even then you, you can you could chalk this up to chance. We're still in the realm of, of random chance. You know, I mean, it's like, if, if again, if somebody flips a coin or, I don't know, have you ever played Risk? I know I talked about Risk recently. You know how when you roll the dice and it seems impossible that they keep getting sixes and you keep getting fives and it happens over and over and over and it makes you want to flip the table over? Because if it wasn't just happening right in front of you in real time, if this was happening on a computer, you'd swear that this thing was rigged? I mean, just just you and somebody else, grab a dice. Grab a couple dice. Roll it. If, If they get a higher number three times in a row than you, there isn't a trend that they're better than you. That's impossible. It's silly. It's random chance. You're still in the realm of random chance. The odds of it happening are not one in a billion. And again, with corner, we got one good and two bad. Maybe. I don't know what Kadar is. So, you know... And, then, and beyond that, not only can I make not make that evaluation, but I, I really doubt they're doing that. I can't imagine Gutekunst and the crew sitting around going, you know, I really suck at evaluating uh, linebackers and I'm super good at evaluating corners. Why don't we just go get a linebacker? And again, I'm not saying you're saying this. I'm, I'm just saying that the converse, there's not a lot here to talk about. I can't see a trend. They're clearly not going to make decisions based on things that they're bad at. You know, we really stink at evaluating this, so we're going to have to focus on, uh, it may be true, but no way in the world does that conversation ever come up. If I were the owner of a team and I was sitting in a room with the GM and the GM's like, yeah, I'm really bad at X, Y, and Z, so we should just go in free agency because I can't do it, he'd be fired. That is your job. Your job is to evaluate talent and find it and draft them and bring them in. That is your number one job. By the way, somebody asked me that, What is the, something to that effect, what is the most important Attribute of a GM or something, it's evaluating talent in the draft. After that, I'm not sure, but it, that's definitely it. We haven't really covered a lot of ground yet, but I do have to take a break here. It's, I got about 20 minutes left before I got to go. So we'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll fire through as many of these questions as we can. I think we're going to stick with questions for a while. So um, if I don't answer your question today and you are a patron, make sure you drop the question in the question Discord because that's where I want to start. If you're not in there, trying to think what the best centralized location will be that i can go to i kind of think twitter dms would make the most sense it's just the cleanest because it's facebook messenger i got my whole family in there my wife and everybody you know i just that's where everybody messages me plus i got you know people not asking me questions that's not great and i don't know where else you could go definitely not instagram that's the most annoying instagram is i just i don't i don't know every time i get a message from instagram it's like would you like this in the general or the primary like what what the heck is the difference i don't know and then half the time, it's just somebody reacting to my story. Like, that's not a message. They're just putting fire next to my thing. Why are you sending me that message? That's not a me- Am I supposed to respond to this? I don't understand. I don't know what to do with Instagram. And then it linked up to my Facebook, so I get a message on my Facebook. And then I have to click on that, and it, like, goes over to Facebook pages. It's like, I don't want to go to Facebook pages. Just to read somebody put fire on something. I'm like, what are you talking about? Oh, Instagram. Yeah, I don't care. So don't—definitely don't do that. I mean, you can message me on Instagram. I just—every time I see— Instagram and Facebook blowing up. It's like, ugh, I got to figure out how this works now. So Twitter is probably ideal. You know, it's very, very, very clean. Granted, I get a lot of people just talking to me on there, but I'll find it eventually. So those are the two top places to message me. I should just say the phone number, but I do a bad job of getting there. Whatever, we'll figure it out. As always, thank you guys for listening. If you'd like to support the podcast, the best way you could possibly do that is to share it around. I know you know people that are still engaged and interested in the, uh, the football season. You probably got people asking you questions about uh, the offseason. If they're showing even, even a little bit of interest, feel free to send them over my way. That would be greatly appreciated. Anyways, we'll take a break, and we'll be right back. Hey, U.S. Cellular customers, I've got good news, so don't hit skip forward just yet. I'm talking about their special customer event, Us Days. all right marshmallow meathead on patreon says um i don't know if he's referring to something else or what but he says i view this as a peppers type move based on uh, age three years for 30 to 36 million with 8.5 to 10.5 million guaranteed believe he's talking about jj watt here can we swing it noting the previous deductions deferrals mentioned you laid out in 2014 to 2016 peppers got three for 26 million with 7.5 guaranteed I know it's corny, but I just have a feeling 99 wants to be here. I know you pounded the table for Lindsley, but if on a one-for-one, one, I'd rather move Jenkins to center, stay cheap at guards and at Watt, to free up Skylark more. You lost me on half of that, but I think I think I get the crux of it. <laughs> what? Is that? Is Skylark supposed to be Kenny Clark? Maybe? I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think, like, uh, what, is, what is it, Skylink or something with Terminator? I don't know why my brain went there. Skynet. Skynet. Um, To answer your question directly, yes, they can make that move. Um, The reason it's, I mean, I did the whole video on it and everything just to kind of show what's possible. And I could have freed up even more money. I'm actually surprised to see, but slightly pleasantly happy. Although now I'm going to have to be the, (sighs) man. I've been very pro-Billy Turner lately because I'm I'm seeing how violently angry everybody is at Billy Turner. And it makes me sad because I was the anti-Billy Turner guy. Now I got to be the pro-Billy Turner guy. Every time I become a trendsetter, I got to jump off the trend. It's just, it's its my life. I did that video, and every comment is, we have to get rid of Billy Turner. How dare you? He's garbage. Because everybody's everybody's thought process is only as deep as the last memory I have of the Packers. He's terrible. What do you mean he's terrible? Well, look how bad he got beat by Tampa. Well, what did he do the game before that? Well, I don't know. My brain doesn't work that far. It doesn't It doesn't work that well. I don't have memories beyond the last game. But point is that's another option we could move on from billy turner saves like three and a half million or whatever i don't know it's possible all that to say when i did my uh you know little moving money around salary cap video slash podcast whatever i freed up like 56 million dollars something to that effect and after the draft and after you know saving a little bit of rainy day money it gave us about 14 million dollars to play with so with your um Looking at this saying, what did you say, three years, 30 to 36, so ten to $12 million a year. Um, that would definitely be somewhat of a team-friendly. I, I, I had seen, I don't know if I said it on the podcast or not, an article saying that he would be more in the, I think, $14 million a year range. So this would be, obviously, significantly less than that. Definitely. Again, if we have... 14 million dollars to play with that doesn't mean we can only sign somebody to a 14 million dollar per year deal we can sign somebody to a 20 million dollar per year deal and only pay them 10 million dollars this year now that's pretty extreme backloading, but it's just you know it's, it's possible we could do whatever depending on again like i said however much you know if they think the cap is going to go up a lot or maybe the way that it's structured there's there's a ton of guarantees so it's you know it's a three-year deal but you're probably only going to play two of them because in year three you're going to be worth 28 million and uh, you know there's only like seven million dollars in dead money so you're gone so i mean the, the answer is yes but but again i don't know that they're going to do all maybe they're not going to do half of that stuff maybe they're not going to touch rogers contract maybe they're not going to extend amos maybe they just leave that exactly as it is maybe they are going to extend Devontae, but they're not going to to backload it as much as i did so it's only going to free up like four million dollars there's so many ridiculous amounts of variables it's kind of crazy but on the flip side. Somebody else had, I don't remember who it was, if it was the IT hedgehog guy that I was looking at or somebody else, they had it set up to where you could maximally free up like seventy-five million dollars. So if they really wanted to go all in and freeing up money, you know, if my fifty-five freed up fourteen million, we're talking twenty million on top of that. I mean, that's more money than we usually Packers are usually going into this to, to the offseason with like twenty million, like twenty to twenty five, somewhere in that range. So the fact that they could get to 14 to 20, somewhere in there is even that is like, well, we're kind of right where we usually are anyways. So, I mean, again, I don't want to get too into the weeds with this, but I'll just answer your question directly. Yes, they can, depending on what the plan is financially. So can they is is kind of an iffy question, depending on what we're talking about. Is it physically possible in any universe whatsoever for them to free up enough money to sign J.J. Watt? Yes. Is it possible based on their current plans? I have no idea because I don't know what their plans are. So they may already know that they can't sign J.J. I don't know. Andy would like some thoughts on Quincy Roche and Elijah Molden. Um, Again, I haven't really looked at any of these guys. I think that's going to be a big part of what I do this week because I'm tired of sitting here saying I haven't watched anybody getting borderline embarrassing to be honest but um again there's a there's a ton of insights and information here and it's probably more valuable than my personal opinion anyways but i want to at least watch them so i can give my opinion which doesn't matter but at least i can stop saying it so quincy roche interestingly enough um when i was doing my my big board and, and i don't remember if i mentioned this i just did my uh 14th mock draft on my youtube channel if you want to check that out i believe quincy roche or roche i'm not sure how you pronounce it i believe he went in the first round Uh, but the interesting note about it he's moving rapidly up the boards gregory rousseau is falling down the boards i don't know that it's impossible that roche goes before uh rousseau i don't know why there's such a uh, french sounding connection with these two edge rushers you would think it's lsu rousseau and roche I don't even think the second one was a French accent. I don't know what I'm doing right now. I don't know what I'm doing with my life. Why am I here? What are we doing here? Um, Quincy Roche, six foot three, 245. Now, right off the bat, and again, it gets interesting. And, and this is where it kind of almost gets borderline exciting because if you're looking at it saying this is more Vic Fangio-esque, and I don't know. I don't know exactly how this works. If it's more traditional 3-4, this is a good fit. Mike Pettin liked the two-way guys. In other words, I like the 260-pound guys that, you know, they can stand up, but also they can put their hand in the dirt. If he wants a guy that can um, be more of a traditional 3-4, and granted 245 is relatively small, but typically you've got guys that are a little bit on the smaller side. They're more the speed bend guys on the outside, and also they tend to be a little bit better at um, at dropping into coverage, which is the case here with mr quincy the first thing that i love about him is that he's been consistently pretty solid for four years he did play for temple this past year in 2020 he went to miami in his four years uh, his his overall defensive grades 78 77 93 and 81 the 93 obviously is an anomaly but either way he's rated about 80 for four years with one elite year on top of that uh, in his final year at temple the other good thing is he goes to miami and you don't see a drop-off in fact it was his second best year Um, He did have six sacks, 36 pressures, which isn't that impressive on 323 attempts. It's just about 10%, Um, but his pass rush grade was actually really, really high. I don't exactly know how that pans out. I know with like J.J. Watt, he had a great grade, but low stats, and I attribute that to him getting a ton of double teams. Maybe that's the case with uh, Quincy Roche here. I'm not positive. I would doubt it, considering Gregory Rousseau is sort of the, the big name over there. Um, however, if we go back to his final year at Temple where he had that elite year, 68 pressures on 392 attempts, so 17%. So that that right there is basically what Zadarius did um, in 2019. Uh, the year before that, 41 on 334 and 30 on 182. He didn't drop into coverage a ton. Um, he did it once. In 2018, he did a lot, 51 times. The other three years, 9 times, 15 times, and 11 times, but... Um, he did get an 89 overall coverage grade this past year in uh, Miami. Again, only 11 times did he drop into coverage, so it's a small sample size. But two targets, two receptions for nine yards, uh, and that's it. As far as his run defense ability, not quite as good as his pass rush ability, but it, it was always right around 70-ish, again, outside of his freakish 2019 Temple year. So again, if you want to see like him at his best, go check out his 2019 tape at Temple. If you want to see him at his best in Miami, check out his game against Duke. Seven pressures on 22 attempts and two sacks, two of his six, so just an absolute dominant performance there. You see him drop into coverage twice, no targets, no receptions. Um, If you want to see him at his worst, it would be his game against North Carolina, but I think the good thing about it, and he does have some trouble tackling, that is definitely his biggest issue, but um, the, the other good thing about Quincy Roche is that his worst game was a 56 overall this past year, which is not bad, that's basically average. But I would say if he struggles anywhere, it's run defense slash tackling. But again, you kind of expect that when you get into the six three two forty five range. So again, that's going to kind of depend on the direction that, uh, that they want to go. And it does seem to be more the direction the NFL likes to go is the bigger body edge rushers. It seems like more and more these smaller quick twitch speed bend guys are not succeeding in the NFL as much. And I, I, I only know that because everybody that I like doesn't succeed. The NFL is going entirely away from what I like. I like big body thumping linebackers. Nobody likes them anymore. And when they get drafted, they don't do well. I like the speed bend edge rushers. Those guys just don't generally pan out. I mean TJ Watt, I really, really liked because his bend was unbelievable. His ability to speed and bend around the edge was like I'd never seen before. He's obviously doing okay, but he's but he's also a big dude. He's not small. Um, if we move over to Elijah Molden of Washington, so obviously not a, uh, a bad place to go if you're looking for a defensive back. Um, he's got him down here as cornerback Elijah Molden. PFF calls him a safety. He obviously does do both. He seems to be sort of a safety slash slot cornerback, although he did play most of his snaps in the slot this year. Let me go back to 2019 because this was obviously an abbreviated year, only four games So he played 725 snaps in the slot last year, 23 out wide, 19 at safety, and 102 in the box. So um, obviously a versatile guy, safety slash linebacker slash slot corner. Now if there's one thing I wish PFF would do for me, it's to allow me to look at grades based on position. They don't currently do that, but that would be the most massive thing I could see. I can't tell you whether or not he's better based on where he lines up. I can look at it based on what they said he was for that game. For example, so he plays everywhere in a game, but they'll give him a designation based on what he did most. So, for example, Week 11 and 12, they designated him a slot corner. Week 13, a strong safety. Week 14, a free safety. Free safety was the only bad game he had. Now, does that mean it's because he's a bad free safety? No, because it might have been that he failed while he was in the slot against Stanford, and that's what caused his grades to be bad. So I, I don't know. Here's what I can say. Four years at Washington. His first two years, 70 and 69.6, so right at about the 70 mark. Then he exploded in 2019 with a 90.8 overall grade, and this year an 85.2. So his last two years, and again, somewhat of a small sample size this year, but three of his four games were really, really good. Um, It seems as though he took a massive step. If we start in 2019, because we assume that's where he took his jump, he had 66 tackles, 15 assisted tackles, and 9 missed tackles. Uh, graded off very well as a tackler very well in run defense but his highest grade not surprisingly was his coverage 90.9 overall grade 61 receptions on 93 targets he gave up 610 yards which is actually kind of a lot Uh, i gave up two touchdowns but had four interceptions and 10 pass breakups so this is where it kind of gets iffy because that reminds me of like kevin king in 2019 he actually kind of wasn't great but he got a ton of picks and pass breakups so it's like everybody said oh that was a great year not i mean I don't think PFF gave him a good grade, but his you know his, his passer rating was really low cuz that's kind of a flawed stat anyway. So it's a it's a trade-off, but but I would rather not have that because again, interceptions and pass breakups are fleeting. As you see the very next year one interception, two pass breakups the year before, no interceptions, four pass breakups. Generally, you don't see guys do that every year. They have one year where they're just in the zone and then it just doesn't happen anymore. But uh, this past year, again, only four games, but you have uh, 11 receptions on 18 targets for 65 yards. He didn't give up a single touchdown, did have one pick and two pass breakups, 44.9 passer rating when targeted. So um, it's interesting. I mean, it it depends what you want to use them for. Do the Packers want somebody that's just a movable chess piece? It kind of makes sense, considering the needs. You know, that third safety slot slot, slash slot spot. Say that four times. Safety slot slash slot spot. You will earn the biggest cookie if you can do that. And you can kind of see it assuming he's somewhat of a later uh, draft pick. Generally, you're not going to see slot guys go in the first round. But if he's a third or fourth round guy, that can be your slot slash um, third safety. So it, it, it kind of keeps him on the field. If you need three corners, he's your slot guy. If they go too wide, you can put him at linebacker or put him you know up high and and bring down Amos in the box or whatever. You know, you get to move him around as a versatile piece. Could be kind of cool if that's what they're looking for. Maybe they're not looking for that. Uh, you know, from from what I've heard, based on the descriptions from what I've read as well as Coach Hawn, it seems more um, straightforward vanilla than what we're used to with like Dom Capers and even Patton, where you, you get these versatile pieces that do like four or five different jobs. It feels like with Fangio and, and possibly with, uh, with Barry... It's, you know I got my two safeties. They generally play deep. And then I have a linebacker that's quick that drops into space. I think everybody wants some kind of versatility. It just has a feel of more, you know, we're not trying to be cute. This is very straightforward. Just do your job and do it well. We're moving away from we're going to trick you and moving toward we're just going to beat you. Just, just a vibe I'm getting. I don't know. Uh, Marshmallow Meathead wanted to know if I'd be willing to have fans on the podcast. Um, I did answer that, but I, I'd like to do something, I just don't know what exactly the best option would be. It could be kind of cool. I mean, there's a lot of variables. First of all, I record at 3 in the morning, and I don't have a lot of time in the morning. You know that I usually get up late, so then trying to coordinate, like if I don't have a plan, and I'm sitting here with nothing to talk about, and I get up at 3, and I get down here at like 3.45, and I'm trying to contact you, and you're not ready, and I got to get it all, I mean, we're not going to have any time. So that's really just not going to work. So it would have to be like an afternoon thing, and then it gets posted the next morning, but even then, it, it's it's a shocking amount of work and preparation. It's actually harder to just have somebody else basically do all your work for you, which is what it would be. You know, you come on, do most of the talking, and all I have to do is post it, and it seems like free material. But it's just it's a lot of work, man. So I'm not opposed to doing something. I just don't know if that's the thing. And and you, you always have to add in the fact that I hate 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 interviews. I don't mind doing them. I hate giving them. I don't have questions. Again, it's just it's a it's a mental deficiency that I have. It's why I can't do small talk. I have not, I'm, I'm just not interested in, in small time. I don't, I don't know how to do it. Like, well, don't you have any questions? Like, no. Like, don't you want to know about this person? No. Why do I care where they work? So what do you do for a living there, Jim? Oh, that's interesting. How do you like your job? Wow. I'm going to go punch myself in the face because this is a horrible time in, in my life right now. Do you have kids? Great. How many? Wow. Wow. Okay. <laughs> what now? What do I do? My wife is great at it because she, she genuinely wants it. She's like, oh, my goodness. I, I want to know this now, and I want to know this now. It's just introvert versus extrovert, man. I can't help it. It's how my brain is. I don't care. And that's the other thing. I feel like you don't care. And, I, and there are people that genuinely do care, and they're asking me questions. And part of the reason I don't even want to engage is because, like, you don't care. You don't care about my job about my kids. You're doing this because you feel obligated and you're making us both uncomfortable. Stop feeling obligated. And just, if you want to hang out, just stand here. I'm good just standing next to you, dude. We're both being forced here to this function. Don't make it worse for both of us. I don't care. You don't care. We don't care about each other. I promise you it's fine. I don't know. I've I've been super anti-small talk since I was a child and it drives me insane. Go to family functions. You have 15 people ask you the exact same questions over and over Hey, Rye, how old are you now? Oh, my goodness, what grade are you in? Wow, what's your favorite subject? Oh, wow, that's a great subject. You in any sports there, sport? Okay, well, good talking to you. Next person. Exact same questions all over again. Stop it. So, I- I'm-, I'm telling you all this to give you an example of why I am a terrible host. So, uh, Marshmallow Meathead, what do you think of the Packers? Here's what I think about the Packers. Cool um what else do you think about stuff i I don't know I, I just I can't do it and that that's the thing man everybody's got their own thing like some people want to do a podcast because it's like well you know how do I do it like i i I didn't choose to do a podcast and then become good at it it's just it just fits me like I tried writing and I suck because there's too much in my brain going on that I, I have to write like 15 pages and I hate writing so it's not a good fit for me some people are great writers and it's just, I don't know, they can express themselves through, I don't know, I don't know, I don't understand it. I can't explain it to you because it makes no sense to me. But it works for them and they're good at it and they like doing it. That's for you then. Like, I don't know, can you sit, turn on a microphone and with no preparation talk for an hour about something you're passionate about? If not, it's probably not for you. At least not a solo podcast. Go get you somebody else and you guys can just talk about life together for a while. If that, I, I don't know, man. Everybody's got their own thing. But having guests on and that's why I, I wouldn't even want a, a Green Bay Packer on my show. That would be a nightmare for me. I'm I'm dead serious. If Aaron Rodgers said, "Hey, I'd like to be on your show," I'd be like, "Oh, I guess I have to." I'm I'm a hundred thousand percent serious. That would be my reaction. I really don't want to, but I kind of have to because I can't say no. I don't want to hang out with Aaron Rodgers. I don't want to interview Aaron Rodgers. I love watching him play football on TV. I don't dislike him. It's not a dislike thing. I'm trying to explain to you my dysfunction. I don't dislike people. I just have nothing. I'm I I need to be locked in a tight enclosure in the basement with the lights off in a little laboratory with computers. And I just create little widgets and gadgets and things. Here's a YouTube video and a podcast and these kinds of things. And there's no people around. That's when I, that's, that's my ecosystem. So no, I'm probably not going to have people on my show, but I will try to find interactive ways. Like the, the, the mock draft thing works for me because again, it's, it's you guys get to do cool stuff and be a part of it. There's no like interaction. It's just me reacting to things that are happening by the way. And I've been, I'm supposed to plug this and I keep forgetting. There is a Madden League in the group. If you play Madden, I don't know how any of this stuff works. I haven't played Madden since, oh, I don't know, 2003. Not including Madden Mobile. I do play that once in a while, but it's not very fun. But uh, Cody's hold uh, heading that up. The league name is Packernet Podcast. The league word, password is, looks like, uh, Packernet1. So, again, I, he, he asked me about it, and I was like, yeah, that sounds cool. I, I, don't, I don't know what the goal is. Like, is everybody picking their own team, and then you guys just have, like, a thing? By the way, if there's some way that I can stream that, please tell me, because I've been wanting to do something like that for a very long time. Maybe this isn't the right thing, but there's nothing that would be more fun, and I've had multiple people reach out and talk about this, and it just never came through. I can't think of too many things that would be more fun than having a league with 32 people in charge of that league. And my role is to like stream the Packers games and anything that needs to happen—draft, free agent acquisitions, whatever—and where I act as sort of the GM for the team. And you have other people who are GMs for their teams. And I don't know, maybe they have YouTube channels. I don't know. I don't care. But I think that would be kind of cool. But it's a thing. Otherwise, just go play, uh, go play Madden with with Cody. Um, I feel like I should answer one more question because that 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 long rant was um. A whole lot of subjecting you to listen to things not Packers related. So let me let me find one more question to answer because I don't want to end on that note. Technically, I was answering a question, but you know, we'll go with Gooseman's question. I think it's not a question; it's a comment. But I'm gonna—it's in the questions thing, so I'm gonna take it. That's the other rule of that: <laughs> if you post an opinion in the questions thing, I'm—I have the right to steal it. I really think offensive tackle is our top need, even over inside linebacker or corner. We have seen what happens when our line plays poorly. Got to keep the stock. I, I've, I've been a pro-offensive line person since forever. I, it feels like nobody really, it, I, including teams, it's not just fans. You know, fans that you, you can, doesn't matter what your situation is. If you draft a wide receiver, your fans are happy. Look at the Cowboys. They already had two wide receivers. They went early in the first round and grabbed CeeDee Lamb, and everybody said that was the greatest pick in history. But it wasn't just the fans. Obviously, you have an NFL team that felt that was the best decision. You had every media pundit in the world saying that was the best decision ever. Everybody feels that way. Everybody, including teams and GMs, want these flashy picks. And for some reason, nobody wants offensive line. However, when teams have great offensive lines, they tend to do really well. I I, I haven't really looked at it, but there seems to be a very strong correlation between good offensive line and good football. Tom Brady always played behind a good offensive line. The Packers historically have had very good offensive lines. The Chiefs historically have had very good offensive lines, except this last game where a bunch of people were injured and they got assaulted and got embarrassed. That's not always the case, but I mean, it's just, it tends to be a thing. You know, teams that historically struggle with offensive lines, even if they're a decent team, they don't usually go very far. Seattle, Minnesota, obviously Cincinnati and, and, um, and the Chargers are two teams that are just horrific with their offensive lines, and they're never going to get anywhere if they don't fix that. But, I mean, I I just, I keep going back to Dallas. The Dallas Cowboys, what, four or five years ago when they just had the most, I mean, everybody on that offensive line was elite. Elite. And nobody talked about the, I mean, very rarely. I mean, it was so good, people actually would talk about the offensive line occasionally, like historically great offensive line. But everybody wanted to talk about Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott. Well, yes. I mean, when you have a, a good running back, and I've always said Ezekiel Elliott was overrated, and finally I think people are starting to come around to that reality, but he is very talented. And if you put him behind the one of the most historically great offensive lines in history, it's going to be hard to stop. And then you put Dak Prescott um, behind that offensive line, who can run and throw. It just makes, I mean, what what can you do? You can't get to the quarterback. And trying to stop them from running is nearly impossible. There's nothing more demoralizing than a big, strong, dominant offensive line. I mean, I don't know how many times I've said it. The only two things you can do are throw and pass, and you can't do either without an offensive line. So why isn't that one of the most important pieces? And, And part of the problem is there's five of them, right? So if you say you want a good offensive line, it's not like you just draft with the first pick, the Green Bay Packers select offensive line. Like that's obviously not a thing, but it should be a massively high priority. And then you look at it, Was well, like, well, teams care about tackle. They don't really care about center and guard. Why? You're only as strong as your weakest link. Why is that not massively important? And I think the Packers' historic... I mean, some teams historically do care about offensive line, and I think the Packers are top of that list, especially now that they have Matt LaFleur on board. He cares about offensive line. And anybody from that tree, Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, even if those offensive lines are starting to fall apart, they they obviously care a lot about it and are going to do what they can to try to keep that thing afloat. But no question offensive line is unbelievably important. Um, I guess the biggest question um, as far as, as Goose is concerned here is what is the plan with offensive line? I mean, if if we're hanging, and, and maybe from his perspective, Billy Turner and Rick, Rick Wagner are an abomination, and so we, we just have to, it's better off to draft somebody and let one of those guys be a backup until we can boot them off the team. I tend to think at least one of those guys is staying and is going to be the, the right tackle. So for me, the interior offensive line is going to be important because under well, I shouldn't say that. Probably the, the ideal situation, to, to your credit here, Goose, would be to draft a really good right tackle. Jalen Mayfield, whatever. Then we have Bakhtiari, we have Elton Jenkins, we re-sign Corey Lindsley, we have Billy Turner at right guard temporarily until he goes away, and then Jalen Mayfield. That would be probably ideal. And, and plus, a, again, I, I you know Billy Turner started to get better over time especially in, in as far as run blocking, which is incredibly important to this team, that probably will be the most important thing. It's just hard to say offensive tackle is most important because I don't know what's going on. I don't know what the plan is. Um, I mean, if Corey Lindsley goes, we have one interior offensive lineman, and that's Elton Jenkins. And we got two tackles, right? We, I mean, we can cut one and still have a tackle. We, we need three interior guys. We need three guards or a center and a guard. So that feels dire to me, which is part of the reason I want to keep Corey. He's incredibly important. He's not that expensive. He's the best center in football. He's not that old. There's just no reason to get rid of him, in my opinion. There's none. And it puts us in a massive hole if we get rid of him. I'm just not interested in that at all. And I mean, it's entirely possible he just asks for too much money because he knows somebody's going to pay him just a ton of money. And so the Packers come with a reasonable offer and they're like, we'll give you $9 million a year. And he says, no, I want twelve. And there's just a massive gap, and he just holds out, and somebody like Miami or whatever gives him twelve million dollars, and off he goes. Not asking them to be irresponsible, but uh, you know, be be maybe a little bit reckless in 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 keeping him. I would. It just helps us tremendously because it, you know, offensive line is massively important, and if you keep him, we've got three positions locked up: left tackle, left guard, and center are locked up long term. Bakhtiari's long term. Corey's going to be getting a new contract, and Elton Jenkins is a rookie. Then, like you said, at that point, yes, draft the tackle, and it, and the second we draft the tackle, the entire offensive line is locked up. If we don't draft the tackle, then we got questions: who's staying, who's going, and where are they playing? Because if we don't keep Rick Wagner, then we're missing a position. But again, it's it's hard because I don't know who's staying, who's going, and what the plan is. Also, you know, as far as linebacker, how unbelievably critical is that? Because I'm getting the impression, if we don't find this guy, we can't run what we're trying to do. Like, you physically, literally cannot run Tampa 2 if you don't have a linebacker that can turn and run with somebody. You're going to get annihilated. Because this guy's going to try to turn and run with somebody with a slot receiver who's going to run down the middle of the field. And he's just going to get burned, and he's going to be wide open down the middle of the field. And we're going to be giving up 40-yard touchdowns every other play. Or at least until he abandons Tampa 2, which apparently is the core of of his scheme. So, I, again, so many variables, it's hard to say. Obviously, tackle is a more critical position, but we may have a tackle. And at which point, no, it's clearly not most important. Then I would probably shift it over to lineback. And, again, I only say that because it's based on the assumption that cornerback is going to be a little bit more protected in this scheme and it's not as big of a deal. But, again, I don't know that that's the case. I don't know what we're doing. I don't know what the defensive plan is. I don't know who's staying and who's going. Are we keeping King? Is Josh Jackson going to thrive in this scheme? Is Kamal Martin going to be a guy? Can Oren Burks thrive in this scheme? Are we keeping Billy? Where is he going to play? Are we keeping Wagner? I mean, Elton can technically play tackle if we want him to. So, I mean, again, there's a billion moving pieces, so it's just it's hard to to know for sure. And it's also hard for me to just disagree with almost any take, because based on the situation, it's like, yeah, I I could see that. It's like that scene in The Office with uh, Jim and Dwight. Jim's asking him how long before this big apocalyptic event happened, and he just keeps raising the date and Dwight's like, Yeah, I could see that. I could realistically see that. One year. That's a real possibility. Fourteen months. I could see that. <laughs> it doesn't make for interesting content, but it's just the reality. What do you think about this? Yeah, maybe. Could be. I don't know. Yeah, but what about this? I think this is most important. Yeah, I could totally see that. Probably, maybe, I don't know. Maybe not though. <laughs> it's just, it's, again, it's it's tough. It's weird with the COVID thing. It's a weird time where they you know, they have to free up a lot of money, but they also could sign people, and they may not get any free agents, but they could if they free up enough money. They could get several free agents. They could get a big-name free agent. They might need offensive linemen. They might not. They might need corners. They might not. They probably need linebacker, but is it going to be a first-round priority or a later-round priority, or maybe they have to get it in free agency? I don't know. Do they need another safety? Are they going to keep all their safeties? Are they going to cut Amos, extend Amos? They're going to extend Devontae. Would they pay two wide receivers big-time money or not? Probably not, but maybe. They seem to like Fuller a lot. And again, at the end of the day, what it's going to come down to, it depends on the board, right? What's going to end up happening is you're going to have a guy like Jalen Mayfield at the top of their board. They're going to draft him, and everybody's going to say, oh, that tells us everything, and we're going to try to read super deep into it. And it's just going to be that's just the way that it is. No, I mean, it, it tells us something at the very least in terms of, of what they're willing to do, right? I mean, if they if they had just extended two tackle. let's say they had like two 26 year old tackles they just gave four-year contracts to they're not going to draft a first-round tackle they will not regardless of the board they'll go to the next player on the board or they'll trade back they're not going to take a first-round pick that's going to sit on the bench for four years but other than that very rare scenario which is not our case there's there's almost no position we're not going to take it's just going to come down to the board so i you know it is what it is man Anyways, I got to get out of here. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.